Thank you, Mary Beth. You know, if I say to you, Jesus is in charge, you'd say, yeah, right? We use the language, Jesus is Lord. We say that a lot in church. But the people in the first century didn't understand that. They didn't get it. Jesus had just come onto the scene in Mark's gospel, and they were trying to figure out who he was. And today we're going to journey into a first century synagogue where Jesus is teaching. We're going to overhear not only what Jesus is saying, but also how the people are responding. Now we're walking through Mark's gospel together. We have been uh, for the last several weeks. And you might remember that Mark is Peter's version. If you remember, John Mark is with Peter toward the end of Peter's life. And Peter is recounting the stories. And again, the story we hear today is Peter's version of that story. And I was having lunch with someone a few weeks ago and we were talking about Mark and talking about uh, the dynamics of Mark. And I mentioned to him, you know, this whole dynamic of Mark being with Peter toward the end of Peter's life. And my lunch companion said, well, Mark had to get it down quickly, didn't he? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he didn't know how long Peter would be there, how long Peter would live. And so as we're reading Mark, we do see kind of a quick movement through the ministry of Jesus. And today we're going to be continuing that story. Now, just to recap, if you've not been with us the last several weeks, uh, we began the story, Mark's story, and we're talking about Jesus' baptism with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a key person, really fulfilling the prophets. He's announcing Jesus, and then Jesus goes from his baptism into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one. A couple of weeks ago, we discussed this, January 14th. And last week, we talked about uh, Jesus calling his first disciples. John the Baptist is put into prison. Jesus calls his first disciples, and he begins his mission of redeeming the world. So with all of this in mind, we come today to the 21st verse of Mark chapter 1. So let me invite you to find a Bible, and we're going to be down in verse 21 through 28 this morning. It's a fairly short passage, so I'm going to read the, the passage in its entirety first. And let me encourage you, uh, leave your Bibles open, and we're going to dig into this passage together this morning. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now let's dig into this passage. Let's go into the synagogue with Jesus, and let's see what's going on here. First of all, Mark tells us that Jesus is in Capernaum. He says in verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. So we know that Jesus leaves Nazareth. Nazareth is where he grew up. He goes out into the wilderness to be baptized by John, to be tempted by the evil one. He calls his disciples, and then Jesus relocates in this town called Capernaum. 
Now, Capernaum's a great place for Jesus to do ministry. It's a, it's a place that's busy, bustling on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's on a major trade route. And at the same time, Capernaum is far enough away from Herod that Jesus is somewhat safe in this place. It gives Jesus t- uh, time and space to do ministry kind of apart from the religious forces and the political forces of his day. Now, we know that John has been put into prison by Herod, but Jesus, all the way up in Capernaum, um, is kind of out of Herod's grip at this point in time. And what does Jesus do? He goes into a synagogue. Now, synagogue is a place where most Jews would gather on the Sabbath, on the Shabbat. They would go and they would do kind of what we're doing today. They would come in and someone would read from the Torah... There would be lessons they would teach. And today, Jesus is teaching. Now you might say, how is Jesus teaching? Jesus isn't the synagogue ruler. And if we understand first century Judaism, we understand that there was a ruler of the synagogue. And the ruler of the synagogue was not quite like the pastor. Uh, He was not the one who gave the sermon on Sunday morning. In fact, he was more along the lines of a librarian, a worship committee leader, a custodian maybe even taught Sunday school. But the primary teaching in the synagogue would be from lay leaders. And so today, Jesus is the lay leader who is teaching. But Jesus is no ordinary teacher. Look at how the people respond to Jesus' teaching in verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, don't you wish we had a copy of the sermon that Jesus taught that day? I don't know exactly what he said, but the way in which he said it grabbed everyone's attention. They thought he's not like the teachers of the law. In fact, they describe his teaching as having authority. What what does that mean? Did he speak in a way that he was speaking for God? In a way that was different from the teachers of the law? Was it about the tone of his message? We're not really sure. But he taught with authority and it grabbed everyone's attention. It says that the people were amazed. That word is sometimes translated astonished. We asked the children this morning what amazed them. What, what What would happen that would astonish you? I don't think too many people leave church and say, wow, Pastor Wade's sermon today was amazing or astonishing, right? That's a a pretty big word. But people were saying that day, Jesus' teaching is astonishing. It's amazing. And most of the time when that word is used, that Greek word is used for astonishment or amazing, uh, it comes from the people. On one occasion, the disciples are amazed at Jesus. The only other time that that word is used is when Jesus is in the temple at 12 years old. You remember? Mary and Joseph found him. And what's he doing? He's sitting with the teachers of the law. And it says that Mary and Joseph were amazed or astonished. You see, that reaction is often the case when people encounter Jesus. But it says in verse 22, the reason that the people were astonished was because Jesus taught as one who had authority. That word authority is another key word here. What does it mean that Jesus would teach with authority? That that word is used 44 times in the Gospels. It's used twice in our passage today. 
And so as Jesus teaches, he expresses this authority and people are blown away by it. But look at what happens next. Verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. So like right in the middle of the sermon, this person begins to cry out. Do you see Mark's language here? Just then. Very quickly it happens. Now, there's an interesting dynamic with Jesus and the synagogue. In fact, there's somewhat of an uncomfortable relationship between Jesus and the synagogue. Often in the synagogue is where Jesus finds his most hostile enemies. We find demons in the synagogue on occasion. We often find the synagogue is a place where people are rejecting Jesus' teaching. There's antagonism toward Jesus. We find hardness of heart in the synagogue. We even find persecution in the synagogue. So very early on in Jesus' ministry, when he steps into the synagogue in Mark chapter 1, there's an impure spirit crying out. He speaks to Jesus in front of everyone. Look at what Jesus, what he says to Jesus, verse 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So people are amazed by Jesus' teaching, but what happens next really highlights Jesus' authority. No one's sleeping in the synagogue that day, not a boring worship service. Let's pause for a moment here. Let's talk about that word authority. Mark has told us, that people recognize the authority in Jesus' teaching, but now his authority is highlighted by this demon-possessed man. Now, it's one thing to teach with authority, isn't it? It's another thing uh, to, to, to have what happens here in verse 23. This cannot be manufactured. This impure spirit or this demon confesses and acknowledges Jesus' authority. Look at what he says. What do you want with us? Isn't that interesting that he says us? Is there more than one demon? Or is he perhaps speaking for all demons? All evil, impure spirits. And then he says, what do you want for us? Jesus of Nazareth. He calls Jesus by name. He knows who Jesus is. And then look at how he refers to Jesus in verse 24. The Holy One of God. And that's an interesting phrase. And I love being able to dig into the Greek uh, language here and see exactly what he's saying and I think it's really interesting that this phrase the Holy One of God is only referenced one other time in the Bible and it refers to Samson now think about that for a moment it's kind of interesting isn't it who was Samson right he lived in the Old Testament you might remember him from his long hair and his big muscles right and Samson is the one who takes on the Philistines Samson is the one who goes against the evil of his day, calls it out, and destroys it. He is the strong man. And so this demon is referring to Jesus in the same tone or the same way as Samson. He sees Jesus as the strong man. He sees Jesus as the one who is going to take out evil. And he says, are you going to? To destroy us. Are you going to take us out? Look at how Jesus responds. Verse 25. Be quiet said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. See Jesus has authority. 
And he is speaking as one with authority. And he commands this impure spirit to come out, to be quiet first, and then to come out of the man. One Greek commentator says this. The Greek word behind the word or behind the phrase said sternly that you see translated in verse uh, 25 is the word epiphaman. It is a technical term in Judaism and it has to do with evil powers being brought into submission because God is in charge. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says sternly. That that phrase, that word right there, is embedded in it is this dynamic authority. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is not only in charge in the way in which he's teaching, but the way in which he encounters this impure spirit, he is in charge. What is he going to do with the evil? He with authority has come to cast out evil once and for all. Jesus, like Samson, like the strong man, is taking out the enemy of God. Jesus, with all authority, is bringing God's rule into the broken world in which he lives. Verse 26 describes what happens next. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Dramatic reaction, to say the least, right? Jesus is not speaking empty words. His authority is is evident in the way in which the impure spirit response Jesus said be quiet the impure spirit is quiet Jesus says come out and the impure spirit comes out the shriek is also an indication that the demon does not want to do what Jesus is telling them to do but he must obey why because Jesus is in charge he has authority what a scene don't you think Let's keep going to see how everyone reacts to what they've experienced. Verse 27, the people were all so amazed, there's that word again, astonished, that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. It's the same sort of reaction that they had to Jesus' teaching. But now, the room is buzzing in a different sort of way, right? They collectively say to one another, a new teaching. It's not something they've heard before. And with authority, this man's in charge. And the encounter with the impure spirit verifies it. Word gets out, verse 28. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. What would your reaction be if you were in the synagogue that day? Would you be shocked? surprised would you be asking questions questions like who is this man what's he going to do next what does this mean for me what does this mean for our synagogue what does it mean for the delivered man what does it mean for the teachers of the law what does it mean for our community who is this man and what has he come to do I think I would be in that place, right? Asking those questions. Jaw dropped, ready to say, I don't know, but this guy seems to be in charge, doesn't he? And that's what Mark wants us to see here. We're just learning. We're in chapter one, by the way, yeah, of Mark. We're just getting started in the story. And we learned from the very beginning That the Jesus who was baptized, the Jesus who went out into the wilderness to be tempted by the evil one, the Jesus who calls his first disciples is in charge. 
He has authority. And we might ask that question, the same question that you might have asked if you were in the synagogue that day. What does it mean for us that Jesus is in charge? Now in time, Jesus will continue to work and move. We're going to keep reading the story. But we see right up front that he is in charge. He teaches with authority. He encounters evil and evil responds. He's in charge. He's removing the evil that is in the world. And again, the way in which Jesus encounters evil is not just for the purpose of casting out the evil in the world. Jesus is casting out evil in order to rescue and redeem. He's heading to the cross, we know that. But his whole ministry is one of rescue and redeem, redeeming, isn't it? One commentator puts it this way. Not only are unclean spirits expelled, but broken people are restored to health and wholeness and to the possibility of restoration with their creator in whose image they are made. The exousia, which is the authority of Jesus, is astonishing. Not as just a display of Jesus' grandeur, but as a power of redemption for captives. I love that description. That's what Jesus' authority is all about. So you might ask the question, what does this mean for us in 2024? Maybe this morning you'd find yourself like the people in the synagogue. Maybe as you are encountering this story, you're asking the same question, who is Jesus? And he seems to be in charge, but what does that mean for me? Now again, we don't have the transcript of Jesus' teaching that day, but the one thing that we do get, and maybe this is all Mark wants us to understand, is that he's in charge. He has authority. His words are worth heeding because he is God. You might remember what Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Paul said in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now, we say that phrase a lot, right? Jesus is Lord. But what does that really mean? It means that he's in charge. It means that what he says goes. It means that we don't get to make up the rules. He makes up the rules, right? It means that he is in authority over us. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Paul says. Salvation comes because Jesus is in charge. Salvation comes as we profess and confess that he is Lord and we understand that God raised him from the dead. Yes, Jesus is in charge. It's more than just an intellectual confession, isn't it? It's a reality. It's about placing our very lives in his hands. It's about submitting to him. It's about saying to him, you're in charge of me, of my life, of what I do day to day, of the decisions that I make. You're in charge. Maybe this morning you would identify with the demon-possessed man, the man with the impure spirit. Maybe this morning you feel like your life is overcome by evil. And the words of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, is offering redemption for you. You can be healed as Jesus commands evil to be quiet and to come out. As we read this story, we should all, our, our response should all be one of worship, right? One of submission. One of placing our lives into his hands. Would you be willing to confess today that Jesus is in charge? Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful today for the story. This glimpse that we have into a first century synagogue. 
Jesus, with you standing there teaching, jaws are dropped. People understand that you are speaking with authority. And then all of a sudden, when a man cries out, you take charge and you do what needs to be done. You cast out the evil in that place. Jesus, we know that you are in charge, that you are Lord. And that we confess, as we confess that today, you offer redemption for us. God, help us to remember this. Help us to live our lives each and every day confessing that you are Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.